Thank you so much for the goodness of your heart toward us in caring for our every need. And at this time, Lord, we want to lift up our brother Larry uh, Kiros to you. And we want to thank you, Lord God, for those who have gone to be around and surrounding him this morning as he is suffering through these uh, problems with his heart. We ask that you would touch him and heal him and strengthen him, Lord. While at the same time, we pray that you will comfort uh, his family and uh, all those that are there in attendance with him right now. We know that you are an able God. Certainly you are a God that is able to heal as you continue to do so. And we trust in you, Lord God, to bring, Lord, to the Kiros family just a tremendous sense of your presence with them through this crisis and through this time. It brings to mind, Lord God, those in our own families and friends that uh, that we want to lift up to you right now in our hearts and, and ask that you would show yourself strong on their behalf. And as we enter now into your word, we pray that you would anoint and bless us with your spirit. That you would help us to focus our attention completely and totally upon your word. That what is said today, Lord, will be taken to heart. And that, Lord, it will truly stir our hearts if, if necessary. For those who have never prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior... To come to that place of salvation. To come to that great salvation that can only come through Jesus who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so we bow in humility before you, Lord God, to do all that you would want to do with us and in us and among us today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Genesis chapter 7. <clears throat> Excuse me. Last week we, we began to uh, exposit the uh, chapter. We have spent uh, a little bit of time up to this point uh, dealing with certain issues concerning the controversies between creation and evolution and dinosaurs and whatnot. But today we want to focus our attention and continue as we did last week to focus our attention on what the text says about what happened in Noah's time. And as much as uh, we see what is taking place there with Noah and his family and with the ark and with the animals and all, that as we saw it last week, it was very much a message directed to us in our time. Because as much as we would want to look at this as just a part of history, and not only biblical history, We have to consider the very fact that Jesus himself said that as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be when the Son of Man comes. So we're living in that time and in that time frame. And even though there were those who believed that yesterday was going to be the day that uh, great judgment was coming upon the earth, And while the world mocked all of that, and by the way, I'm not mocking it and I don't consider doing it. I just feel that the person who put all of this stuff out was wrong. Because only the Lord knows the day and the hour. But what it does is it gets us to to realize that everything from Genesis to Revelation, as God's word is true, therefore 
if there is a time coming where there is judgment on hand, then we need to be ready. We need to be ready. And we can no longer play games with God. We can no longer have this attitude that, well, so He promised He's coming, but where's the promise of His coming? Peter talked about that. We've read it. And we need to consider it. So as we enter into this next section of Genesis chapter 7, verses uh, 13 on to to the end of the chapter, and we're going to read it all today and come back to it a little bit next time. We need to keep these things in mind. We need to keep keep them in our hearts. I want to begin reading in verse 10 where it says, And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. The 600th year of Noah's life in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day where all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were opened. And the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. In the selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them into the ark. They and every beast after his kind... And all the cattle after their kind, and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him, and the Lord Shut him in. Judgment, you see, was inevitable. There was no backing down or backing out of this situation for the creator of the heavens and the earth. He had seen the worst of his creation. Think about that for just a moment. He had seen the worst of his creation. Those who were initially created in his image, removing themselves so far from their maker who designed and made them with such love and with such care, even to the point of creating them with uniqueness from all the rest of creation. Their rebellion toward and disregard for God's purposes and plans for them was deeply and grievously marked by God. I took you back to Genesis 6 last time, and I want you to go back there again to verse 5, where, where it says that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And I asked you the question, do you think that that very same verse would apply to our time today? That God today is seeing the wickedness of man being great on this earth. And that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart is only evil continually. That's the way it is right now. We see it in the death and destruction all around us. The terrorism that takes place all over the world and all over the globe. But because man as a whole has rejected God, we are in the very same place where Noah was then. And they repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. The Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. If you jump down to verse 11, it says, The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. That could actually be written on the covers of our newspapers today. God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, The end of all flesh is come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. 
But if you remember, we looked at verse 8 and it said that Noah had found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God had set him apart. God had set him apart along with his family to obediently make the way of escape for what would be left of mankind and the rest of creation. All all the while, the, the rest of mankind yawned in the face of God. Mankind was yawning in the face of God as if he wasn't there. And if he was there, it didn't matter. Most of them simply didn't believe that God intended to judge the world. That's the same attitude that people have today in the world. They simply don't believe that God intends to judge the world. Man is trying to change the character and the nature of God. And that man is trying to change the character and the nature of the Word of God. Does the Word of God matter anymore to people? No, because they've changed it. They try to say today that, you know, God doesn't care who marries who. Yes, He does. He made it very clear in His Word. Does it matter what we do with life? Not to the world, it doesn't matter. So we we still kill babies with abortion. Does it matter? To God, it matters to God. We, We try to change all of that. So the world has their own perceptions of God. They've created their own God after their own image. That's the very same thing that they say of Christians today. There is no God. Christians just created God in their own image. That's not true. We know that. What is true is that they created a God after their own image, after their own hearts, after their own desires, after their own lusts. And so the God of love has become the God of lust. The God of holiness has now become the God of unholiness. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah and his family, on the other hand, other than what the world had been doing, they took the Lord at his word. Folks, I want to encourage you, take the Lord at his word. Take the Lord at His word. What His word says is true. Therefore, believe what He says. Noah and his family took the Lord at His word, and they entrusted all things to God on the salvation that is provided for the race of man in in that ark that was built. They trusted all on the salvation provided for the race of man. And that is why in verse 22 of chapter 6 it says, Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so did he. I mentioned last week that Noah, for over a hundred years, obeyed God implicitly. Noah had toiled away for at least a hundred years, not only preaching righteousness, but he was that great pre-flood carpenter. Building that massive ark or coffin or chest or box, as it were, as the judgment-proof vehicle of salvation for a lost world, which would eventually point that, you know, that ark would eventually point to to the very carpenter of Nazareth, who would himself provide a judgment-proof righteousness and perfect salvation for men. Jesus on the cross. Jesus dying on the cross. Jesus shedding His blood on the cross for our forgiveness. Jesus being buried. And then three days rising from the dead. You see, what a picture Noah and the ark become for us. That all who shelter in the ark of Christ will have the assurance of His atoning sacrifice. And in fact, will never face the storm of eternal judgment. I can assure you right now, 
that as believers in Jesus Christ, we have all faced storms in this life. We have faced storms of trials and troubles and tribulations, adversities as it were, some even persecutions for their faith. But one thing is for sure, that if you are in the ark of Jesus Christ, you will never face the storm of eternal judgment. So get into the ark of Jesus Christ. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? What if May 21st, 2011 had been true? Where would you be standing today? You see, the plan of salvation in Noah's day rested on the faithfulness of God's word. If you go back to Genesis 6 and verses 17 and 18, it says, God is speaking to Noah and he says, Behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven. And everything that is in the earth shall die. But notice verse 18, But with thee will I establish my covenant. God is is making a a covenant that he's going to keep. And he says, with thee I will establish my covenant and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives with thee. That plan of salvation for the ancient world was the same as for today. It's the same plan. What is the plan? Well, first of all, there has to be a response There has to be a response to God's word and a purposeful and conscious turning to Christ. Noah had to respond to God when he said, Noah, make for me an ark. And he had to respond to God when he says, Noah, enter into the ark. We said last week, Noah didn't have to, but he chose to. He chose to be obedient and he went into the ark. There has to be a response to God's word. And a purposeful and conscious conscious turning to Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the ark. He is our, our, our ark. Salvation is available only through Him. He said it in John 14, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. No one. And as the ark provided shelter from the storm, it also provided sustenance for all who were inside. Verse 21 of Genesis 6, it says, And take thou unto thee of all food that is eaten, and thou shalt gather it to thee, and it shall be for food for thee and for them. Every need was anticipated and met by God. God anticipates every need in our life. He never leaves anything out when He gives us what He knows that we need for life and godliness. Never. He never leaves anything out. David was well aware of that in the 23rd Psalm when he says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In modern English, of course, that says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. Because He is my shepherd. So I never lack because the Lord is my shepherd. You see, every need was anticipated and met for Noah. And as it was then, so it is for us today. Jesus Christ not only saves... Now, let me just make it very clear. Jesus is Lord above all. I know a lot of people focus on the fact that Jesus is Savior. Yes, He is. But as you look through the Scriptures, especially in the New Testament, you realize so often it says that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord and Savior. Lord and Savior. There is an order. He is Lord before He's anything else. But He is Savior. So understand that Jesus Christ not only saves, but He also satisfies. And He meets every spiritual need of all who trust in Him. So I ask you the question, do you trust in the Lord? 
Are you trusting in Him completely? Are you trusting in Him implicitly? Because you see, as you trust in Him, He provides for you everything that you need for life and godliness. Don't let me tell you that. Let Peter tell you. 2 Peter 1, verses 2 through 4. Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as His divine power has given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. He's given unto us all things, notice, that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. That brings us right back to Noah, doesn't it? Because he was escaping the corruption that is in the world through lust by being on the ark that was provided for him. Salvation that was provided for him for shelter, that was provided for him for sustenance. Everything God provides. And so, the ark was ready. The ark was ready. And it tells us in our text in, in, in Genesis 7, as we studied last time, that God would tell Noah there were, in seven days the waters are coming. In seven days. God being merciful, God being gracious to anyone else who would want to enter into the ark while the door was open. There was room in the ark. Just like there is room on the cross. There's room in the kingdom of God. Verse 10, it says, It came to pass after seven days, after those seven days, that the waters of the flood were upon the earth. And then the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day where all the fountains of the great deep broken up and the windows of heaven were open, and the rain was upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. You know, there are a number of events that are dated for us by the Lord in His Word. Dates such as we see here. Something happening on the second month of the 17th day of the month. In the 600th year of Noah's life. So we shouldn't be surprised. As we know that this is the way a lot of things are dated in the scriptures. We shouldn't be surprised that even on the onset of the great flood. Would be dated by the Lord. The Lord is dating the flood. Interesting thing. We can find repeated references to days and months and years as we will as we go through 7 and chapter 8 and 9. We'll find repeated references to days, months and years, some 18 time notations actually and all uh, pertaining to the flood. And it seems as though Noah was keeping a diary or a journal of sorts as all of these things were taking place, as all of these things were being done. Noting day by day, noting month by month passing events of that epic catastrophe. I'm sure there were days when nothing would be written because all they saw was water everywhere. Just the passing of day into night and night into day. But of course we know that Moses being the author of Genesis would would have used figures corresponding to the Jewish religious calendar, but that could mean that the interpretation of chronological information would be that the measurement of time would have begun with the creation. And if that were the case, then the strict measurement of time would conclude that the flood occurred about 1,655 years, one month and 17 days after the creation. If a strict accounting of the time in the scriptures from Genesis 1 all the way to Genesis 7 were to be taken. A strict measurement of time. But while that kind of dating will bring a few assumptions into play, 
is probably more important than to consider this dating to help us measure the date for the landing of the Ark on Ararat, which was exactly 150 days or five months later. Exactly. For the day that the waters began. If you go forward to Genesis 8, verses 3 and 4, and of course we'll come back to this in, 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 in more detail later, but it says the waters returned from off the earth continually, and after the end of the 150 days, the waters were abated. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. So there is a time frame there. We're beginning to see a, a, a time frame set for us at least in the event called the flood. Now, what we can rest on is the fact that all Scripture is indeed divinely inspired. And so there had to be a reason for recording the date with such accuracy and precision. And I'm still looking into it. (laughs) I'm still trying to figure some things out here for you. So it's an interesting thing. But nonetheless, God has a timetable. And I'll talk about this more in just a moment. But the seven days had passed. The seven days had passed and we can surely believe that the extra week of grace was intended to bring them to repentance. Those who were outside of the ark. But instead, they used it, those who were outside of the ark, they used it as Paul would describe in Romans chapter 2 verses 4 and 5. As a time to treasure up wrath against wrath. Or against the day of wrath. Paul says in Romans 2 verse 4, Despises thou the riches of the goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? Of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering? Not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance? That could certainly be applied to those who were living outside of the ark in Noah's day. They had despised the riches of God's goodness. They had despised the riches of His forbearance. They had despised the riches of His long-suffering toward them. Not knowing that the goodness of God would would have led them to repentance. But then in verse 5 it says, But after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. And then we could, we could pretty much say that that's what was taking place outside of the ark on the seventh day, the day that the water was to come. They were, their hearts were hardened, their hearts were impenitent, their hearts were treasuring up unto themselves that wrath against the day of wrath. They didn't enter the ark. They didn't walk on the ramp. They didn't go over there. They didn't, they they didn't get, they may, they may have come close, but they didn't go in. How many people come so close to God? How many people come so close to Christ, but never come in? Staying on the edges isn't going to work. You have to come into Christ. You have to come into the ark. The ark was designed, by the way, in a, in a way that you couldn't just hang on to it once the waters came. You couldn't hang on to it. There were no handles. No place to grab on. You had to believe God and you had to come in. They weren't doing that. But there's something about the power of God in judgment that we need to understand today. There's something about the power of God in judgment. First of all, His power had the traumatic day fixed in history, as we've already mentioned. The day was fixed for us. It certainly had been predestined, and on that seventh day, the terrifying floodwaters began to pour forth to white man from the face of the earth. I want you to consider, if you will, that the day of our judgment, or the day when we stand before God in judgment, that's already fixed in history. That's already fixed in God's mind and God's heart. That day is already fixed. No one knows what day that's going to be. Only the Lord does. Only the Lord knows. That's why to say that May 21st, 2011, yesterday... To say that that was the day that all judgment was going to break forth and and global earthquakes were going to take place and rapture was going to happen and all of that. The world made fun of it. The world mocked it. 
And the more people set dates, I, I truly believe one, one of these days, you know, they're going to have a date like yesterday. And maybe we better be ready, okay? But they're going to have a date like yesterday and people will say, May the 21st, you know, oh, here it is. And then it doesn't happen. And guess what? Everybody goes, Whew. What if it happens the 22nd? You just got to be ready. We all have a day. Listen, many for many of us here in this place today, we have had loved ones, loved ones who, for whatever reason, were taken from us instantly. We, we weren't prepared for it. For others of us, we've had, we've had family members that, that were told, you're going to have another only three months to live. I've prayed with people who have only three months to live and they live for three years. Longer. Maybe more. There have been some people that I've known that, that were told that we're going to die. You know, they were going to have a good six years, but they didn't make it past a few weeks. We don't know, but only God does. Only God knows. We have to be ready for that. So it didn't happen May 21st. May 22nd may be your day. I don't know that. But God does. Even Jesus himself would say in Mark 13, verses 32 and 33, But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take ye heed, watch, and pray, for you know not when the time is. I think I mentioned last night that uh, this was not to say that Jesus... there, There are certain things that Jesus doesn't know. Because Jesus is the Son of God and God the Son, He knows... But he says what he says because of this. He defers all of that to the Father. To send him to come to this earth when it's the time. He leaves that authority in his Father's hands. But please understand, we don't know. And we show some sense of arrogancy or arrogance to say that uh, something's going to happen when even the angels don't know. But even in Luke 12, verse 40, Jesus said, Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not, when you don't think is coming. See, I tell you what, I'm not mocking what happened yesterday. I don't, I don't want to mock that. I just say it was wrong. It was just wrong to set a date and, and, you know. But I'm not mocking that. I'll tell you why. The world is enough to mock these things. They did it on all kinds of radio programs, TV programs, news programs, sports programs. Everybody's mocking it. But remember this, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. God isn't mocked. You're not mocking God. You might have been mocking somebody that misdated something. What it tells me is people aren't ready. And we need to get ready. Because it could happen at any moment. And remember this, that we will either stand before the Bema Seed of Christ as believers, or we will one day stand before the great white throne of God in judgment as unbelievers. So where, where are you going to stand? Where do you want to stand? I would hope and pray you want to stand before the Bema Seed of Christ as believers. All will stand before God one day. But believers will stand before Jesus Christ at the Bema Seed. But those who stand before the great white throne judgment of God, that is for unbelievers. So where are you going to stand? Before whom do you want to stand today? Ask yourself that question. I'm trying to stir your heart. I'm trying to get you to realize how serious all of this is. Listen, after this service, we're going to go eat lunch. We're going to have, a, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have fellowship with each other. We're going to do all, all kinds of things today. But we should always be ready. We should enjoy life because God gave us life to enjoy. God gave us wonderful things to to appreciate. And we should appreciate them. I'm not trying to get you to, you know, be worried like those people are passing out the flyers this, you know, all of this time before May the 21st. I'm trying to get you to see that your life is going to be a reflection of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And therefore people still to this day need to know Jesus Christ.
So live life to the fullest within the wisdom and power and understanding of God's Word, but live life. But folks, be ready. Because there may be some of you in this room today, and I would venture to say just because of the numbers of people that are here, that some of you don't know Jesus and you need to know Him today. I don't want you to have to stand before the great white throat judgment of God. That's what I'm trying to say. And by the way, I don't care if this message goes about five minutes longer. Just because I'm sharing this with you. Before whom do you want to stand? Secondly, God's power violently broke up the earth's crust and burst loose all the earth's subterranean waters. Earthquakes must have taken place over all the earth, as we see in Genesis 7, verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life. In the second month, the 17th day of the month, the same day were all the fountains of the great deep broken up. Notice, not some of the fountains, all the fountains of the deep. And we, if, if we consider that there, this was a global flood that, it, that was going to take place, there would be fountains throughout all of what was at that time the earth. Not formed or shaped as we know it today. Not with the continents, continents that we know today. But nonetheless, just as today, there were fountains under the earth. The idea is that all the waters underneath the earth's crust, all the caverns and the springs and the rivers and the lakes and, and perhaps even seas of waters were violently broken up. Not just casually broken up, violently broken up. A lot of water had to come from below as well as from above to cause a worldwide cataclysmic flood. The crust of the earth cracked under the violence of the quakes and the water, the waters burst forth under the crust of the earth, violent, uh, violently discharging the subterranean waters, quite possibly causing huge, gigantic tidal waves, destroying all those who may have tried to escape in other boats and ships of that day of those who may have lived close to the water, of those who kept wondering about what, what uh, Noah was doing, and uh, they thought maybe, well, maybe if we get a, you know, a boat built or something. You know, if it was just a calm, easy uh, rainstorm and, and a calm, easy lifting of water out of the ground like fountains sometimes do, I'd give people a lot of time to do stuff. Figure things out. Work some way out to kind of get away from being in trouble with the water. God didn't give them time. The violence that is described here in the breaking up of the earth's crust, or the breaking up of the, uh, of, of, of the ground, where waters would come up, wouldn't give them time. Add to that then the next part. The rains. But, but we'll get to that in a moment. There, there is no mystery, though, that, to the fact that even today, outbursts of subterranean waters frequently accompany seismic disturbances, which are, of course, earthquakes, such as have taken place recently in Japan. I was amazed. You know, we were in Israel when this happened in March, and uh, we were watching on the news uh, what was happening in, in Japan. And then just considering that every day after that, following uh, for a number of days, there were so many other uh, 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 shocks and, 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 and quakes and, and aftershocks and all of that. And what were we doing over here on this side of the, of, of the Pacific? We were worried that the, 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 the tidal waves were going to be big enough to damage Hawaii and eventually possibly even the, the west coast of the United States. Didn't quite happen, but we've seen where earthquakes have caused <coughs> great destruction. Indonesia a few years ago. And the tidal waves that attacked them totally without warning. And even if they did have warning, the people were just standing looking at it. Some of them anyway. Didn't have time to react. Others tried to react. Didn't have, didn't help. So understand that in Noah's time, these things were magnified substantially. God did not give anyone time. 
to work out their own salvation. Thirdly, God's power opened up the floodgates of heaven, <clears throat> of island, torrential downpour falling from the sky. And we have to remember the canopy that we talked about that covered the earth was, was, was still, uh, at this point, still there. We, we haven't seen that it has been taken out. But we'd have to figure that that is the collapse of that particular uh, canopy uh, was what, uh, what began the, uh, the downpour from the heavens. Heavy rains, torrential downpours, never witnessed before or since, fell upon the earth. And this took place without any break whatsoever for 40 days and 40 nights, as God's Word says. And it makes us wonder, did that day dawn as a bright and sunny day as any that had gone before? Or did the people begin their day awakened by an appalling thunderclap and a sudden downpour of rain as had never been experienced? In such a controlled environment. And that's what it was. It was a very controlled environment. But it wasn't after that day. It wasn't after that day. And we're never told how it was. How it came about. I've got a video to show you. I'll show it to you next time. Very well made video by Answers in Genesis. And, and uh, I tell you what. I've seen it only on a little screen. But I wonder how... It looks on the big screen. I think it would scare me because it looks so real. It would have made it, it would have made me wonder when. How did they take that picture back in Noah's time? Because it looked pretty real. But the point is, the point is that we don't know, but it happened. All we do know is that an hour struck in the eternal counsels of God, and then all creation above and below arose to do God's bidding and rub clean a planet made vile by filthy men. That water poured out to clean what man had made filthy with his sin, his corruption, and violence. And you know, we're told in the scriptures that, that God had promised that he would never again destroy the earth with a flood of that magnitude. But we know of the promise that is coming in Second Peter that he gave us. That there is a judgment coming to the heavens and the earth again. But this time it's a judgment of fire. And we know that water certainly can purify. But fire purifies all the more. But man today, man today dares the God who created the heavens and the earth. They dare him as one who is incapable of such power. Whether by ignoring him or just by being ignorant of him. Or even by full rejection of his existence. But whatever they choose to be unaware... Uh, of is this but what they choose to be unaware of is this <clears throat> they choose to be unaware of the fact that he has the power job lived in a time probably of the patriarchs and so it would have been not many years after things had settled down after the flood and all but we know the trials that Job had to endure. <clears throat> Excuse me. And and uh, there was a day when his friends, three friends of his came and, and mourned with him for seven days. And then they decided to counsel Job. Many times throughout the book of Job, he, he, has, to, he has to respond to their counsel. Sometimes strongly as he does here in Job chapter 12. But what he says here to them is something that I think we need to take note of because in verses 14 and 15 of Job, he says to them, Behold, he breaketh down. Speaking of God, Behold, he breaketh down and it cannot be built again. If God breaks something down, man's not going to be able to build it. He shutteth up a man and there can be no opening. But verse 15 is very, very significant. He says, Behold, he withholdeth the waters and they dry up. 
also, he sendeth them out, and they overturn the earth. They overturn the earth. Which gives us an indication of the power that God has, just with water alone, to change not only the makeup of the earth, as it was known then in, in Noah's time, but to change it so drastically that it becomes what we know of it today with the continents and the nation, you know, the land masses and the seas. God has the power to overturn the earth with water. And in any case, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Are you going to be ready? Well, in verses 13 through 16, it says, In the selfsame day, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> selfsame day entered Noah and Shem and Ham and Japheth, the sons of Noah, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with him into the ark. They and every beast after his kind and all the cattle after their kind and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind and every fowl after his kind, every bird of every sort. And they went in unto Noah into the ark, two and two of all flesh, wherein is the breath of life. And they that went in went in male and female of all flesh as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. If you're going to underline anything in this passage, underline that last phrase, in your Bibles, and the Lord shut him in. By the way, your Bibles, not the church's Bibles. And the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut him in. It's interesting that three times in this chapter we're told who went into the ark's safety. Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives, eight people. We're told three times. Verses 1 through 4 it's mentioned. Verses 7 through 9 is mentioned again. Verses 13 through 16 as we just read. Three times. If something is mentioned three times, it's, it's of extreme importance. Something mentioned twice in the scriptures, it's, it's of great importance. If something is mentioned once, if God mentions something once, it's always important. So if something is mentioned three times, we need to take note. And why is this information stressed so much? That these people went into the ark. Well, there is one primary reason. One primary reason, and that is that it emphasizes the salvation of God. It emphasizes the eternal mercy and the grace of God. Because even in the midst of judgment, God was merciful. I mean, let's face it, Noah was still a sinner. But he chose to obey God. His wife and his sons and their wives were sinners. But they feared God which the rest of the world did not. They feared God. But what is even more significant, I believe, in this section is that the Lord Himself was the one who shut the door of the ark. It says the Lord shut Him in. I believe if you look at the blueprints of the ark that God had given to, to Noah, the, you know, the plans, as God was directing him to build this, this magnificent structure, that as he's doing it, Noah is looking at, at the plans of the door and he says, Lord, there's no handle here. I don't see a handle on the inside. I don't see a handle on the outside. And the Lord said, that's not your business. That's mine. I'll close the door. You know why that's important to understand? It's important to understand because Noah didn't have to shut the door on anyone's salvation. Noah didn't have to shut the door on anyone. God left the door open. And the opportunity was given for anyone to come in, but they didn't come. Therefore, when it was time, God shut the door. Noah didn't have to do it. God himself did it. You see, it is never our job to disqualify people from salvation. Oh, please, never disqualify anyone from salvation. We may hate certain people. 
Those people shouldn't come into the kingdom. What if God saves them? What are you going to do now? I got to love them. That's right. You may have hated them, but now you got to love them. Because it's not your business to save. It's God who saves. So it's not our business to disqualify anyone. We have to let the Lord shut the door. Because He alone is worthy and He's able to do it. He alone is just and righteous to do so. And so to the last possible moment, God kept the door of the ark open. But there came a time when the door had to be shut. And you know, it brought to mind something that uh, we read in in. In Revelation chapter 3, when, verse 7, when Jesus is speaking to the seven churches, in particular, he speaks here to the churches, uh, or the, I should say to the church of, of Philadelphia, or to the messenger of the church of Philadelphia. And he tells them, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David. Notice, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth. And no man openeth. We have to always realize it's God who opens the doors. It's God who closes the door. It's the Lord who has the key. Peter doesn't have the key. Jesus has the key. But you know there are two sides of the door. There are two sides of any door really. And as everyone outside was shut out, those within the ark were safe. And they were sealed in. They were sealed into the ark. And that's a type of our being sealed with the Holy Spirit as believers in Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 4 verse 30. He says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Because you're sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. In uh, in Second Corinthians one verses twenty one and twenty two, uh, Paul says, "Now he which establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has sealed us, or who has also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts, which means He's given us a guarantee of the Spirit in our hearts. We've been guaranteed the sealing of the Holy Spirit." Because we've come into the ark of Christ. Something we need to remember about salvation. God's serious about it. God is so serious about it, he wants to keep you inside the ark. So he'll seal you by the Holy Spirit. And there's something else to consider about our text today. (coughs) The same waters... The same waters that destroyed life on the earth were the same waters that bore up the ark in which Noah and all his family were were carried safely. The same waters. The same waters that destroyed the earth and life on the earth were the same waters that lifted life above the flood. Interesting, isn't it? Reminds us of how God himself even to this day deals with the issue of death God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son gave his son to this earth that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life what did his son come to do he came to die on the cross for our sins came to die death But before Jesus died, he had uh, earlier on gone to the waters of baptism. And he told John, John, I want you to baptize me. John says, I'm not worthy worthy to do that. But, But he obeyed the Lord and he baptized Jesus. Did Jesus need to be baptized? No. What was Jesus doing by being baptized? He was showing us why he came. As John put him into the water, he was showing that Jesus came to die. And the waters over came him the waters of death but when John brought him out of the waters it was to show that he was going to resurrect from the dead he was going to rise from the dead 
And that's the same promise given to us, that if we believe in Jesus Christ and what He came to do, and as we go to the waters of baptism, we get put into the water. What, what do we say? The old man is going to die, but who comes out? We come up in newness of life. Death that brings life. And that life eternal. The waters destroy, but the waters lifted to safety those that God brought into the ark. Let me close in reading the rest of this chapter to you and then touching on a couple of things before we come back to it later. But it says, The flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bear up the ark. There, there are some people today who believe, actually, that the forty days and forty nights of, of the rain and the, and the breaking up of the, of, the, of the ground underneath that bring up the waters, that all of those 40 days and 40 nights was specifically to have enough water on the whole earth to finally raise up the ark. 40 days and 40 nights. The number 40 is often used as a number for judgment. But after that, the raising up of the ark. Something to think about. And notice again what it says. The flood was 40 days upon the earth and the water incre- waters increased, bear up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. And the waters prevailed and were increased greatly upon the earth. So it seems like waters were continuing to come beyond the 40 days. We'll talk about this when we get to chapter 8 in, you know, in, in short time. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole earth, uh, heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail. The mountains were covered, and all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man. All in whose nostrils were the breath of life of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed, which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things the fowl of the heaven, and they were destroyed from the earth, and Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days. So the idea is that it didn't just rain forty days and forty nights, but for a longer time than that. Again, we'll talk about the science of all of this later. We didn't do much science today. But Donald Gray Barnhouse points out that the same judgment that swept down from God upon the Lord Jesus Christ brings death to those who refuse and life to those who believe. Just as we spoke about the waters that destroyed, they were also the waters that lifted up. The same judgment that swept down from God upon the Lord Jesus Christ brings death to those who refuse and life to those who believe. In the ark, Noah was surrounded by judgment which showed God's hatred of sin, but he himself was safe. In Christ, we are surrounded by the judgment of God against sin, and yet we are safe. You see, the long night's journey into light had begun. But this is only just the tip of the proverbial iceberg. Noah, the eighth person, the preacher of righteousness, had done all that the Lord God had commanded him. And now he sits in the ark while thousands outside are perishing in the onrushing floodwaters. And no one to save them now. No one to save them now. And Noah and his family were safe and secure. Noah stands as a living example of the mercy of God. He and his family alone had believed and followed God, obeying and basing their lives upon the word of God and even the warning of God. And so my question to you as we close today is this. How dark does it have to get? How stirring does the storm have to become before you will respond to the love and to the grace and to the mercy and to the compassions of God and of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ? How much has to happen? How dark does it have to get? How stirring does the storm have to become 
before you believe in Jesus, before you trust in the Lord? What is it going to take? Again, what if May 21st, 2011 had been the day? Before whom will you be standing at this moment in eternity? Before whom would you be standing? You see, you do have an opportunity still. There's still an opportunity. There were a lot of things we talked about earlier on in the other uh, services about the fact that, you know, this week was a very significant week prophetically. Benjamin Netanyahu, the uh, prime minister of uh, Israel, was here in this country to speak with our president, but our president said, of course, before that meeting took place, that he wants Israel to go back to their pre-1967 borders. And Prime Minister Netanyahu had to come and, 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 and in essence, lecture our own president about, about history and about the heart of man. That if they went back to those borders, they would be indefensible. Which translates into saying our existence would be challenged. This is very significant. This is, why, this is one of the reasons why I believe that uh, May 21st was not really the day of, of total judgment. God's in control of prophecy. And listen, these prophecies are very important. These are leading to greater prophecies that are yet to come. But Israel is still at the center of prophecy. And I saw nowhere that uh, those who believed that May 21st, 2011 was going to be the day of judgment ever considered that Israel was important. Israel is important, but things haven't happened yet that need to happen. Those will happen because God, God's timetable says they will. Read the prophets. Read the book of Revelation. The point is, are you ready? I want to close with the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 5. And I want you to listen to the first two verses, verses 24 and 25, that I read to you. But I'm going to read down to verse 30. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me has everlasting life. I think that's pretty clear. Pretty clear cut. He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, being God himself, has everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation or judgment, but is passed from death unto life. As Noah was passed from the death and destruction unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. Have you been hearing? Have you been listening? For as the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. I can of my own self do nothing as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will but the will of the Father which has sent me. Some people have been confused by the statement that Jesus mentions in verse 29 when he says they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Jesus is not saying that you have to do good things to be saved. There's only one good thing that we can do. There is only one good thing. And Jesus talks about it again in the, in the book of, uh, in the gospel of John. We are to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only good we can do. Is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. To trust in the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But to believe in Him. Because it is not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He has saved us. So it's not piling good against the bad things we do. No, that's not it. We've never preached that. That's not what the Word of God says. But what Jesus is talking about is that one good thing. 
which has surrendered our lives to the Lord Jesus Christ and believe that he came to die for our sins and rose from the dead to secure us eternal life. But those who have done evil and continue to do evil, and they do it because they are willfully doing it in rebellion against God, they will face the resurrection of damnation. They will stand before the great white throne judgment of God. And again I ask you, before whom do you want to stand? This is not a time for us to be prideful and to say, well, I don't need to believe all that stuff. I'll get by. Well, the millions that were on the earth at the time of Noah didn't get by. Only the eight who believed. Only the eight who feared God. It's about time we start fearing God. And believe that he has the power to do what the word of God says. Am I trying to scare you? Yes. Actually, I just want to scare you out of hell into heaven. That's all. If you don't know Jesus Christ or if you've never prayed to receive Jesus, I'm just trying to tell you, listen, you need to get your life before God. You need to trust him. You need to know that he loves you with an everlasting love. You need to know that he's given you every opportunity. And you need to take that opportunity now. Because there may not be another time. What are you going to do? If it's not May 21st, but May 23rd. What if it's tomorrow? Could be for some of us.